Welcome to another OUinsider.com podcast. I am joined by OUI staff writer, Colin Kennedy. CK, been a while, man. Last time I, I heard from you, you are on your way to D.C. How you doing, man? Man, it's been a long time. We were just talking about it before the show. It's been a hot minute since we dove into everything going on in the world of college football and OU football recruiting. So it's good to be back, man. I'm excited about this. Who knows where this is going to end up going because we've had so much time since the last pod and then of course so much potentially in the foreground so we'll see where this hat this ends up going but i'm excited to talk some ball man right on so i want to start with uh i think a very simple question when did you know this caleb williams announcement was going to be a big deal (laughs) well uh, big deal is obviously a tough term to address I think it was going to be a big, big deal when I started to get a whole lot of CBS sports execs on my line. And, of course, that started to build what was probably like a two-week span of just nonstop stress for me behind the scenes. Because, I mean, look, you know as well as anybody, it's really hard to to really discuss and describe what goes into a on-air production behind the scenes. And, And for, like, the ordinary fan to really get what goes on technically in order to pull something like that off. And so, I mean, for me, it was just nonstop take phone call X or answer email Y or make sure that this fire is put out. So it, it, it really started to hit me probably about two weeks before the announcement that, Hey, like this is going to be something that's viewed by millions of people, but don't mess it up. And luckily I think it all no pressure there, man. Yikes! Uh, The the walls were closing in for sure, so uh, you could feel it, the tension rising as he inched closer and closer to the 4th of July. All right, so like I have not traveled at all since uh, the pandemic kind of shut things down March 11th and and since then. Like I have have been here. So what was it like for you just to travel from, I mean, uh, OKC, Dallas area to D.C.? Yeah, it was it was a little different. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I wouldn't say it was terribly drastically different in terms of how you go about things, like the airport. But I, I flew out of Dallas, Fort Worth, and there were definitely some some changes. And I honestly was pretty surprised how quickly I moved in and through the lines of security. I figured there would be a lot more jumbling going on, but it, it turned out that I guess no one's flying, which I guess is pretty smart. So it, it went relatively smooth. I think in the airports these days, obviously there's a lot of closures. So you kind of got a game plan, how you're going to handle yourself. If you're in an airport for a long time with all the restaurants kind of being shut down and a lot of spacing kind of limits people from going in and out of stores. So it, it was definitely different, but I mean, I just kind of went about my business and kept my distance. And in the end, I think I was pretty pleased with how it all went about in the terms of just getting there and back. No, man, like I'm, I'm interested in this. So I want, I want to talk about it. And I think most people will be interested in it as well. Where were you and how much time did you have to set up the live shot and then just to hand it over to Caleb? Yeah, it. Oh man, that was the most stressful part. Right. Uh, that so, we flew out there. We kind of got a sense of what we we're gonna do. I didn't have any of the gear needed because there was a big jumble beforehand as to how we were gonna set this up with CBS. And so it ended up 
going from, oh, CBS Sports HQ is going to send a certified Botog with all of HQ's equipment out there to make sure it all went smoothly to, hey, we're going to overnight you a package from Connecticut. You need to make sure that you get it and learn everything within the span of 24 hours. So naturally, I'm sweating bullets because I'm not even going to mask the fact that before then I was pretty stressed out, and now it's like, hey, you're the only one on site with any sort of technological experience with cameras, so figure it out. Uh, I had roughly less than a day to learn about three new softwares and you know X number of pieces of equipment, and obviously getting it to come be compatible with all of my equipment was just an absolute fiasco, and then... The night before, we actually went to the location that Caleb was announcing, and it was the rooftop. It's an apartment complex on the outskirts of D.C., southeast area. And we just kind of laid a spot. We we were going to put down a piece of tape. We actually counted out a bunch of pieces of wood to determine, like, where we were going to end up putting the camera. And then, of course, the day that it actually comes, we decided to completely change the location of the camera positioning we also end up scrambling because the kid, he can't hear in the IFB. So about three minutes before we're live, I'm scrambling to get this kid some AirPods. We can't find his shirt that he's going to wear after he enters that whole commitment video. So now we're rummaging through a whole bunch of Chick-fil-A catering equipment and presents to find out where his commitment shirt is. It was an absolute scramble, but... That was kind of the, the, the layout that we dealt with, and there were a bunch of fires that we had to put out that people didn't get to see live on air that eventually all kind of subsided. And in the end, I mean, right at about, I, I think it was really about 15 to, to 10 seconds before they started talking to him. I mean, that was really when it was in the heat of the battle. And so for it to, to go as well as it did as, as soon as it went live, I was – pretty shocked but right before then man i mean it was it was a battle trying to make it all sort and be worthwhile but i'm glad that it eventually did i know that it's a lot of stress because i work with that sort of equipment every day and i i feel you on that so like i'm i'm getting sweaty over here my hands are tingling just thinking about all the foobar that you dodged because it sounds like you were given you were you were given a tango in cash, and you came out with the zip line like everything is just awesome. Like, bravo, man! Because like I'm watching it from the outside, like everybody else. I'm watching on a live feed. I'm watching Jeremy St. Louis, St. Louis, drag this thing out, ask Caleb all these questions that we know the answers to for the most part, and be like, yo, man, just 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 let the kid do what he's doing. Because I'm also thinking about you, and I should mention uh, Brandon Drum who's there with you as well. But I'm like. The sooner this gets done, the better I'm going to feel because my guys are over there helpless. <laughs> and it went over. It went over well. It was good. Caleb was good on camera. It was a great shot. It was brilliantly lit, especially being that dark because I was going, whose idea was it to put the kid on a balcony? Turns out kids yeah. got their own ideas because I'm, you know, I'm thinking about this from, from the standpoint of, you know, we make video. We make TV. We make photos. Light is important. On God's yes, green sir. earth, I would not ever put somebody out in the middle of the night with only sporadic fireworks going off behind them as any sort of guiding light. And yet, what did you use as a light source? 
Dude, that's one of the fires we had to put out. So I didn't have any light kits with me when I flew out there. So matter of fact, I worked with the family, and we ended up getting one of like his sister's studio makeup lights. And I ended up posting it up right over the top of my camera to get him just front lit. And it worked. I mean, it worked. And somehow the family had the light source I needed to make it look decent. So that was another thing behind the scenes that we weren't really sure how it was going to work. We were all kind of panicking about it. But, yeah, that lighting, I mean, it wasn't terrible. And I was freaking out not only because of that, but, I mean, the fireworks in the background, you never know what's going to happen. Right. Especially because there were a bunch popping out, like, literally 20 feet next to us. So it, it ended up looking pretty good. And I, I got to the point where, man, I started taking some risks. Like, you go back, you look at the rerun. I mean, I'm behind the camera whenever they're taking it back to CBS, and I'm panning ever so slightly to make sure I get just X number of fireworks added in the shot. I mean, it got to the point where it, that lighting kit, some of the things we pulled off behind the scenes, it, it kind of helped boost my confidence. And eventually, I mean, it looked good lighting-wise. It looked good with the backdrop. I was pretty pleased that. I didn't completely bundle the thing, and I was glad that we were able to help the family create a pretty meaningful moment. Man, kids with the halo light coming up clutch, and Colin feeling so good about himself. It's like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some artistic work in here. I'm gonna make sure that that somebody knows that I'm behind this camera. I'm also need to add in here anybody that's ever worked in live TV or live streaming for that matter would tell you, I hate this. I hate all of this because. Everything goes wrong or can go wrong. And your anxiety doesn't actually switch off until after it's over. And even then, you're going, wait a second. What did we screw up? I know we screwed up something. Was it big or small? Was it the kind of thing that the audience would notice or only we would notice? And usually it's a only we would notice. But, like, I'm just <laughs> – I was trying to get him to the commitment, right, so, so that folk can understand. I'm trying to get Caleb Williams to just talk out, I'm going to Oklahoma – because if the feed dropped before that, everybody screwed. Everybody. And, and nobody more so than the dudes working at OUI who flew out from the middle of the country to D.C. for literally three and a half minutes of content. Golly, nah, man, bravo. Like, it's great. It's good. Uh, but you go from that to, well, excuse me, not go from that. A couple hours earlier, Latrell McCutcheon drops that. He, too, is headed to the University of Oklahoma. And for some people, that's an even bigger coup than Caleb Williams. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that to a degree, it's definitely maybe a more impactful haul. I know the, the fancy question that came up after the weekend was, is Oklahoma recruiting extremely well offensively at the expense of defense? And I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I think I would point to a guy like Latrell McCutcheon as kind of a counterpoint to that argument. I mean, Latrell is a guy who, when healthy, he is easily one of the best cornerbacks, not only in the state of Texas, but I mean in the nation. And I love the kid's demeanor, his attitude, his effort. It was really unfortunate to hear about that injury, but he's been cleared recently. So I hope to go out there and see him play if there's a high school football season down in Austin. That's a whole other topic. But, I mean, Latrell committing to OU – that's only going to have numerous benefits moving forward because not only is the guy a high-profile defensive back, and, of course, that's something that OU fans have been calling for forever, but he's also a guy that 
means a ton on the recruiting trail. Like a lot of prospects have a ton of respect for Latrell McCutcheon. And it's not just in the state of Texas. I mean, Caleb was there after his commitment and talking about how Latrell had committed too. He was that excited about this cornerback committing. I guess he and Latrell had talked a bunch beforehand and they were mapping out what was going to happen after these announcements took place. And so, for me, the, the commitment of Latrell McCutcheon may have been somewhat overshadowed by, obviously, the, the commitment of the number one quarterback in the country. But for Oklahoma fans, man, I mean, I wouldn't blame anybody if they were just as ecstatic about that one as they were about Caleb Williams. I want to piggyback on that, the strategy to commit on the same day and when you're going to commit and those sorts of things, because I know that many people expected multiple commits and they were wondering if it was going to be three, four, or five, because you'll remember a couple of years ago, Theo East, R.J. Henderson, um, Trajan Bridges, and Jerrion Jones, I believe, who transferred like from Mississippi State to Ole Miss after flipping from Oklahoma to Mississippi State, all like committed at the same time. And then there was like, I want to say like six over that spring game weekend. And I think people were expecting those sorts of fireworks. Uh, were you expecting those sorts of fireworks? And do you think people were let down? I, I personally wasn't. I think once we kind of received news about what was happening with Keon Coleman, who probably about four, five, six days before then, maybe a little bit over a week, there were rumblings that that commitment may not have panned out. But, but I mean, before that time, span, I was fully expecting Keon to be a part of that trio that announced on the 4th of July to Oklahoma. Now, I wasn't necessarily stunned at all heading into that weekend after I had acquired the Keon Coleman knowledge, knowing that there were only going to be two. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, those two specific commitments are huge. They're probably well worth three, four, or five in their own right when you talk about Latrell McCutcheon and Caleb Williams. But I also feel like people forget. I mean, I know that everyone wants to see kids announced at the same time, so all those dominoes fall sequentially, and eventually they're all in the same boat. It's just less things to worry about. That being said, I mean, I'm always constantly reminding people, like, these are moments that mean a ton to kids. And I personally tell a lot of guys, like, hey, if you're going to commit, do it to where you feel like that day is the most rewarding for yourself. And so, I mean, if guys wanted to wait, then wait. I mean, make some day, X day of the month or week, about you because it should be. You are making your collegiate decision to go play football at the highest level. Now, I will say this. Well, there weren't a ton of commitments, and yes, I will see to you, RJ, that maybe OU fans could be a little disappointed in what had resulted. I fully believe that there is still plenty of impact after what took place on the 4th of July out there on the trail right now. I'm fully expecting here in the next uh, month, so maybe into mid-August, plenty of noise to take place because there are rumblings right now after Caleb Williams is in the boat, after Latron McCutcheon is in the boat, who might be next. And I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this, but for me, while OU fans certainly expected three, four, five, six commitments on that day, I'm saying, okay, you can be disappointed you didn't get them on that day, but I firmly believe you're going to get them here pretty soon. 
Keon Coleman, of course, committed to KU, where he expects to play both football and basketball, to which I've been going, yo, man, if he can play basketball, Self ain't going to let him play football. So that's a little curious. And I don't know that Phil Self is into just carrying football players on his national championship caliber basketball team, especially when the football team ain't very good. That aside, I do want to get into this conversation about the kind of commits that are in the boat for Oklahoma, because sometimes I believe that it's undersold, uh, sometimes even by me, and other times I believe that we're being sold on what could be, even as we're looking at the boat of, I think we're at 11 now, commitments, and going, okay, yeah. uh, okay, thank you. So Caleb Williams is your five-star. Then you're going Cody Jackson and Clayton Smith right there together in the top 60. Then you're going to Ethan Downs, and then you're, or excuse me, then you're going to Latrell McCutcheon, then you're going to Ethan Downs. So I mean, it's it feels kind of top heavy in the top 100, but then it kind of sort of feels like it begins to taper, and it feels like it begins to, I mean, fall off a cliff is too strong, just not be on the caliber of, let's say, an LSU who is coming off of a national championship, and I'll need to to repeat that. And with the new rankings, they got. 14 four-stars in a 16-person class. Now, depending on how you feel Rajon Davis is going to get uh, or, uh, re-ranked and whether or not Mason Smith goes into the boat or not is interesting. And I wanted to speak about that because two things. One, we can talk about what's going to happen next or what we think is going to happen next. But two, what do you think of this class so far in relation to Clemson, yeah. Ohio State, uh, even North Carolina is out recruiting Oklahoma. Not something I was prepared to say. Or even USC, who hasn't been to the heights that Oklahoma's been to in the last four years. Or Oregon, right? Which is coming off a Rose Bowl win and a Pac-12 championship, but for the most part is trying to get is is just now getting back to good. How do you rank Oklahoma and what it's doing against those teams in recruiting? We could talk about on the field results because those show themselves, but we're talking about the 2021 recruiting class. Yeah, I think it's a fair question to ask. And, I mean, it's kind of what OU fans are waiting for. At what point is this 2021 recruiting class that's had so much hype around it going to stack up with the Clemsons, the LSUs, so on and so forth? For me, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head here. There are guys at the top of this class that are nationally recognized names, and I firmly believe their brand is going to continue to grow. I mean, you touched on it. Cody Jackson – I hear constantly from people down in Texas, the Houston area specifically, about how that guy is going to be a complete difference maker. Clayton Smith, we've touched on that dude several times here on the pod and on the site. I firmly believe he's going to be next-level kind of pass rusher and impact player in the front seven. Latrell, obviously we touched on him earlier. Ethan Downs is a guy that, I mean, I've seen a couple of times in person at camp settings, and he just dominates anything that he's asked to do. But, I mean, like, Caleb Williams is a five-star for a reason, and that's kind of what's going to help you continue to build this class. I mean, Mario Williams, Mario Williams, we've touched on in the past. I mean, that's a guy that is still going to hear from the top programs in the country up until he has to sign that dotted line, potentially in, what, December? I mean, Mario is a guy who, that's an impact wide receiver that can also play baseball at the highest level. And, and then you talk about Nathan Rollins, Kai Bonge. I mean, so Colin Montgomery's guy, to me, that's very slept on. And then there are a couple of guys developing projects like Jordan or Isaiah towards the bottom. I know you're a big Stutzman guy now, but that's a whole other tangent. But in my opinion, you look at this class, and I really like the foundation that it's setting because, in my opinion, there are guys at the top that, in my 
I think are truly verified ballers. And there are guys towards the bottom of the class that, while they may not be the nationally branded names, have the very strong foundation to eventually become household kind of guys once they reach campus. Now, it's going to be crucial over this next month, month and a half span, that OU continues to bring in some of the more top-tier guys. I'm all for bringing in projects, especially as you run up towards the deadline. But if OU is going to want to get this class on par with Clemson, LSU, so on and so forth, I, I, I am expecting them to go a little bit heavier after some of those bigger names still left on the board. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. This class doesn't necessarily stack up at the moment with Clemson or Ohio State or North Carolina, but it, it could – depending on how some things sort out. Now, Ameka Ekbuka, name to remember. Kelvin Gilliam, Marcus Burris. A, a couple of those defensive back prospects that could eventually join the class. And I'm sure we'll talk about them and when we get into that discussion of what could be coming next. But, I mean, right now, I don't think this class is exactly up there with some of those major recruiting programs that you mentioned. But I see the building blocks to eventually get there, and I do believe that at some point they'll be up towards the top in the recruiting rankings. I want to f- finish with that by just saying that uh, the devil's advocate here for uh, OU fans, if you want to trot this out to anybody else, would be on average, player for player, Oklahoma competes with the top eight uh, we're talking about per average, but Caleb Williams helps you tremendously. And like I said, being top heavy in those top 100 gets in the composite rankings helps tremendously. And if you're talking about putting them up against Texas, pound for pound, player for player, Oklahoma is ahead on average. That said, Georgia is destroying everybody on average. And again, when I think yep. about Oklahoma, I think about LSU, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, and the like, right? I think about Ohio State. I think about conference champions. I don't think about other teams that are recruiting well. And I think, you know, it needs to reflect both in the rankings and in the product on the field because Ohio State and Georgia don't have a problem with that. Oklahoma seems to be overdeveloping, right? What happens if you get the five-star and four-star dudes at the top of the rankings? Overdevelop them. And then we're talking about national championships. I do want... I do want to talk about what's coming next. So I'm just going to throw that to you and say, do you see a commitment in July uh, following Caleb Williams and which side of the ball? If you yeah, I, I, when, I, when you talk about what's coming next, so you talk about the five stars, overdevelop those guys. That's going to be the big question, right? It is, is a five star going to join the boat? Now, I wouldn't say that I'm expecting a five star type to commit. I do think, though, that because of the Caleb Williams commitment, guys like Emeka Ibuka, Tristan Lee, Kamar Wheaton are very much a little bit more realistic. Now, in terms of some of the guys that could pull the trigger here in the next month or so, I'm expecting some defensive backs to potentially commit in that span of time that I mentioned. I think that the Caleb Williams commitment here. It's important to know because a lot of those defensive backs that Oklahoma is targeting right now are out in the DMV. I mean, Harmon, Damon David, who, by the way, I mean, Damon David, I, I'm not a huddle guy. I like to in-person evaluate players, but my goodness, go put on Damon David's huddle tape. That dude is next-level good in terms of that film, and, and OU has a very real chance to lock that guy up. I think they lead for him over Michigan. 
I think Demon Harmon is on the verge. I think there's a couple of other guys in Texas that could pull the trigger defensively. I, I think the real good news when you're talking about what could be next, yes, Oklahoma gets the five-star quarterback. They get that corner in Latrell McCutcheon. But in my opinion, I think you're going to really see some major takes, whether it be the four-star guys or even the three-star guys, on the defensive side of the ball specifically. I think that's kind of where those dominoes may fall next. Exact names I don't want to give, but I can kind of give you that picture right now as I mentioned some of those defensive backs that I'm impressed with. So I, I really do believe that Oklahoma is about to add some very good names into the class. While they may not be, again, some of those high-profile dudes that you want like Kamar or Tristan or Ibuka, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, Damon David, Damon Harmon, if they get Burris or Gilliam, I mean, those dudes can ball. And I firmly believe that if they do end up committing here very shortly, it's because of that commitment of Caleb Williams in this aftermath. So knowing that that's on the on the docket, right, and, and seeing that both Roy Manning and Lincoln Riley have done a pretty good job of trying to keep fans engaged about what's coming and what's coming next, I wonder what is it that they're actually trying to build toward before a season starts and the urgency, because throw this in here. Tony Grimes shocks us all by reclassifying and is going to finish his credits in time to enroll at North Carolina in August. Now, he's a little bit more precocious in coming out of Princess, and he's not even going to play with the idea of Virginia not playing fall football. And that's been positive for a couple of months now. Same thing with uh, Louisiana. They are playing with the idea of not having football in the fall, and you have kids who are on a deadline. Many of them want to early enroll. That was always the plan. They want to get to college just as soon as they possibly can so they can get to the NFL just as soon as they possibly can. And Grimes being the number one player at cornerback in this class and a top 10 recruit reclassifying speaks volumes. So knowing that that's there, what do you think the prospects are of Oklahoma trying to recruit just a little bit more into the future as opposed to into the present because nobody knows anything about this 2021 class? I mean, evaluations are going to – we're we're all going to look so good or so bad – and nobody's going to give us any kind of break because we didn't get to do in-person evaluations. Like, I mean, at this point, we're going on, what, four months? And we're looking at, what, six, possibly? I mean, we're talking yeah. about some some, some FBU stuff. Uh, there was Elite 11, but there weren't any camps. Not really. There were no team camps. There was no elite camps. What do you think the play is here for, for Oklahoma, but also just around the country? Is the play to put them all in the boat like Tennessee, or is the play to try to look to 2022? I I think the play is really to kind of anticipate what you're going to do in the 2022 class and then do as best as you can to identify the top-tier talent on your board and get them committed as quickly as possible. Now, that kind of plays into what teams like Tennessee or maybe even North Carolina are doing. I mean, North Carolina – is playing into its future by taking care of the present. And I, I quickly explained that by saying they said, look, we don't want to mess with the flurry of potential decommitments coming in the future. So if we are able to get grinds on campus now, that sets us up for probably the next three years 
of at least getting him into our program. In my opinion, you're going to have to make a lot of business decisions this cycle because I think we're going to look back on this specific recruiting class and just ask what might have been. I mean, there are going to be a ton of guys that get overlooked, to be quite honest with you, because we just don't have those in-person evaluation opportunities right now. And once you really start running up to that deadline here in December or in the final signing day out in, what, February, I mean, there's going to be a massive flurry of just jumbling recruiting mess that teams are going to have to sort through. And I firmly believe if I were in their position, I would just say, all right, stop. This thing is kind of a lost cause. Let's just make sure we are taking care of positions of need and then looking towards that 2022 class because, number one, I'll say this, the 2022 class, my goodness, it is loaded with talent. It is some of the best talent I've seen in a while. And then number two, this 2021 class, I'm still looking at guys thinking, okay, but can he really play ball? And, I mean, we'd have those questions answered by now if we had some of these opportunities, but we just don't. And I think that college football programs are going to kind of be in the same boat. So, again, I, I think right now, especially when you're Oklahoma or some of these bigger-name programs like Ohio State or Tennessee or what have you, you really have to figure out, okay, what can we just take care of in the now that we're comfortable with and then just reset ourselves into maybe a stronger talent pool in 2022? That's just what I would do. I don't know what you would do, RJ, but knowing what I know and knowing what we've been up against, it really would be more convenient for me if I just focused on what is ahead of time. Hmm. Well, I actually want to take it there um, because we're actually running through my questions. The question I have for you is, what does Oklahoma look like in relation to the number one quarterback in the 2022 class, Quinn Ewers, now that we know that Caleb Williams is committed? Because I think you can make an argument that if Oklahoma swung and missed on Williams, they're in the driver's seat for Ewers, but we make that we made that argument with Williams, and it turns out we were right. So, knowing that that dude is being heavily pursued by Texas, Ohio State, Auburn and Oklahoma, how do you assess the race in July when nobody gets to play football and about a year before he probably has to make a decision? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating in terms of the Quinn Ewers pursuit. I know that anyone who has listened or followed some of my work, everybody knows I'm very high on the guy. Mm -hmm. I think that the 2022 class update is coming soon. I'm sure it'll be out by the time this podcast goes up. And Quinn Ewers is in a spot that I firmly believe he deserves. And he reached that positioning in a season. Now, where that eventually ends up in terms of Oklahoma standing, I, I, I really don't think that we can definitively say, okay, Oklahoma still leads or Oklahoma is still in that top two or three. Because the Quinn Ewers situation especially with what's happening in 2021 with some of the more surefire quarterbacks already being taken. There are a lot of programs that are going to come after this guy with everything they've got, because they know they're going to have a lot more time to take a look at him. They're going to have a lot more time to evaluate and see the fit. And to be quite honest, I mean, this guy has a lot of football ahead of him. I mean, he just finished up his sophomore year as a starter of South Lake Carroll. So for Oklahoma and Quinn Ewers specifically, I'm not comfortable to sit here and tell you that Oklahoma's number one still. 
I think, okay, if you go on to 24-7 Sports, if you're a VIP member, you'll see some really good pieces that guys like Steve Wiltfong or Mike Roach have put out about how Quinn Ewers is handling things in the aftermath of Caleb Williams' commitment. I'm sure I'll have something here very soon because I'm talking with people down in Texas about the aftermath. But, I mean, Quinn Ewers is a guy, if, if I'm Oklahoma and I know that the 2021 class may already kind of be filling up due to not only my player evaluations but scholarship limits – I mean, I would be doing anything I can to put resources into the recruitment of Quinn Ewers. So we'll see. I don't think that this Kill Williams thing directly impacts Quinn, to be quite honest with you, because I know that the camp and his family firmly believes that that kid can accomplish anything in just one football season, and I wholeheartedly agree with them. But I'm also someone who firmly believes that if Quinn Ewers has the opportunity to play as much football as possible, he should take that opportunity. So... Oklahoma is very much in the race. I still believe that they're towards the top, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they end up getting his commitment. The thing is, because he's going to have a lot more time to be evaluated, there are going to be a lot of other programs vying for his eventual commitment, and it's going to be a lot more difficult to eventually get that guy in the boat than maybe it was for Caleb Williams. I'd appreciate that, and I also put it into these terms. How many quarterbacks do you have in the room? How many quarterbacks do you have on the depth chart that you think are good? And how often do you take two quarterbacks in a class? Like, that would be my major knock against the likes of an Auburn or an Ohio State or even a Texas, right? Oklahoma has proven to be more unique in this manner in that Riley just wants one. He doesn't want two. He wants one. He wants one in every cycle. And you take a quarterback in every cycle. But with we've seen is Texas, LSU, Ohio State. They're all hedge. I mean, you got Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. You've had uh, Hudson Card and uh, Jaquindon Jackson at Texas. You know, you, you LSU took T.J. Finley and Max Johnson. Oklahoma doesn't do yeah. that. So if you are thinking that you want to get cover for one of these guys, then cool, that's great. But that probably hurts you down the road with the next group of kids. That's how I view it, at least. Do you think that's a little bit too cynical? No, not at all. I mean, I think you bring up a very good point in that a lot of Quinn Ewer's other collegiate destinations are bringing in two guys at the signal caller position. And, and, and to further it, I mean, if I'm going to be really honest with you, I mean, I've had a chance to see Quinn play, and I know what Southlake does offensively. And, and I still have firmly believe that Oklahoma is probably his best fit in terms of running an offensive system because what they do at Southlake is very similar to what he would probably have to handle as the quarterback of Oklahoma. Now, again, I've written about it. If Quinn Ewers goes to Oklahoma as the one guy in the class of 2022, I firmly believe that the moment he gets the set foot on the field as a starter for the Crimson and Cream, he's going to go off. I mean, this guy is going to be a future first-round NFL draft pick. I mean, I think Charles Power came out with an article today. I mean, he believes that Quinn Ewers is the best junior quarterback prospect since Trevor Lawrence. So that kind of goes to show you what he can do potentially once he reaches the next level. The biggest thing is just finding that fit. I mean, if Quinn knows that, okay, either I'm looking at OU as that destination, and they already have Caleb Williams or, or Spencer Rattler on campus, or I'm looking at some of those other programs you mentioned, like Ohio State, Texas, teams that are taking a bunch of other quarterbacks while they may not be on his level, there are other guys in that room. 
I think Quinn is really just going to have to figure out, okay, what is the best opportunity for me to showcase my skills in a very short amount of time? And once he determines that, I'm not going to object to his eventual destination. I think we're going to learn a lot about Texas specifically because I think with a new offensive coordinator in, they're going to have to kind of prove what they can provide. And I think, honestly, Texas is a really likely destination for him. I think Ohio State is another very realistic opportunity to go and and just dominate in one year's time. I mean, Ryan Day, a lot of people know, I very much respect what Ryan Day does systematically on offense. So, again, I think the Quinn Ewers is kind of seeing the situation that you're talking about. A lot of the teams on his top list are taking either a bunch of guys or they're taking guys that are extreme high caliber and he's going to have to go into some sort of situation and know that he may not have the most time on the field, but, I mean, the guy can accomplish anything imaginable in just a few short games. So that's kind of a hurdle that he has to jump, and it's going to be really fun to follow what he eventually does because now that Caleb Williams is committed, I mean, I see no reason why all focus shouldn't be on this guy. So, again, it's a long time until he makes his decision. But knowing these are the factors that go into it, I think this is going to be a very fun storyline to continue to build until he eventually makes that signing official on signing day. I think that's a good place to leave it, man. That's very good. I mean, of course it's very good. We haven't done this in like two weeks. Uh, That's Colin Kennedy. Follow him on Twitter at ckennedy247, at ckennedy247 on the Twitters. I have deleted my Twitter account Please subscribe, not to this, just to this podcast, but to OUinsider.com where the VIP board stays popping with Brandon Drum dropping drum beats like every day. Colin stays up on whose list is doing what, whose offers are really hot, and keeps you up to date on all things related to not just Oklahoma and Oklahoma recruiting, but also we got team news now. We have, what, zero positive COVID test, which I think is outstanding, yeah. you know, so at the very least, at the in the beginning, when there are no other students on campus, Oklahoma gets to show once again why it's really good at this thing called football. All right, that is going to do it for us. We'll see you guys next time. Deuces.